0: We're going to come into the sermon. Uh, We're in the book of James. We began the book of James several weeks ago. And we are going to continue through uh, the book of James. Uh, James is an amazing letter. It's probably the first uh, New Testament document that we have. And James began, if you remember, when we started a couple weeks ago, he begins by telling us that God uses trials to mature us in our faith. And then we saw in verses 13 through 18, this was two weeks ago, that, that God also, uh, he shows that we have evil desires in our heart, that when these trials come, they often twist them and tempt us to disobey rather than persevere in obedience. In our section today, James is going to flesh out, okay, so how do we live by faith? So if there's going to be trials and we're going to have temptations, how do we make our way through this life? How do we navigate in a way that we, we honor God? And so what James is going to do is he wants us to understand the importance and the necessity of God's Word in the Christian life. He's going to show that the only way we live righteous lives, lives that please God, is when we live in accord with His Word, the Bible. And so... Uh, I'd like everyone just, if you have a Bible, can you just grab your Bible? If you don't have it today, you can grab one of the white Bibles in front of you. Um, and, and if you really still don't have one of those, you can grab your little digital Bible in front of you. Uh, but I do want to encourage you on Family Sundays to use our paper Bibles um, as our children are watching and looking. They have no idea what you're doing on those electronic devices. And I know you're all studiously studying, uh, but it's helpful for little eyes as well. Um, I'd like just to just take a moment. Uh, this Bible, this Word, it's a gift to us from God. Uh, it's in this Word that God has revealed who He is, what He's done for us, and how He redeems us in Jesus Christ. It is com- this book is comprised of 66 books. It is inspired uh, by the Holy Spirit, written by human hands. It is without error. It is perfect. It possesses the full authority of God. The Old Testament, which is the first 39 books, was finalized before 200 B.C. It contains more than 300 prophecies of Jesus Christ regarding his, uh, regarding his birth, life, death, and resurrection, with Jesus completely and absolutely fulfilled all of them. We have more historical documents pro- proving the reliability and historical accuracy of this word than any other historical document that exists this is not a book given to simply improve our lives. It's not a book that's given to us that we would live happier lives and just culturally more acceptable lives. This is a book that reveals the triune God, the God who created all things so that we would dwell in his presence. This is a book that's meant to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ so that we would shine as lights in this world. This is a book that frees us from sin and fills us with the joy of Of the triune God so that we would be trained in righteousness every week we come and we spend a great deal of time opening up this Bible and we preach expositionally through it meaning we go verse by verse making our way through books of the Bible so we don't miss anything and that we understand the message of the Bible as it was written each week we also stand when we read God's Word we don't do that for exercise We don't. I know, sometimes we're wondering, why do we always stand up? We stand as a reminder of who the author is of this book, of the authority that this book contains, of its inerrancy and infallibility, and to remind ourselves that this book is God's gift to us, that we would know Him, love Him, and live like Him. This is truly no other book like the Bible that we possess. And what is neat is, everyone here has one, whether paper or electronic, and we probably all have many of them at home. We're greatly blessed in this country to have this Word. And so we're going to look today at what God's Word says to us, and one of the things we're going to see is it's calling us to be a people of this Word. And so what I want to do is I want to go and invite you to stand. We're going to read James chapter 1, verse 19-25. through 25. James 1. Know this, My beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word... And not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Let me pray. Father, we come. We come now to your word that you have given us and lord i pray that lord through the power of your spirit our hearts would be open that our eyes would be alert as we read and we study this passage god as it calls us to be a people of your word god i pray that we would understand what it means to read to study, to live out the truths of your word, that we would see the joy, the freedom, and the glory that is contained in your word that you have given to us. God, I pray that you would, through your spirit, give us wisdom and understanding. God, uh, create in us, increase in us, a hunger and a desire to know and to love your word. In your name, Jesus, amen. You may be seated. So a question to begin with, where is it that we are often faced with our sin? Like think about it, when you're going through life, when is it that that you are aware of sin in your own life? When is it that you realize you struggle with gentleness and patience? Is it not when we're in relationship with other people? I think this is why James begins, verse 19, calling us, Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Does that describe you? Sometimes, sometimes not. Other people are often the very are the very means in bringing out the ugliness of our sin of our sin uh, within our hearts and bringing it to the surface. Now, other people are not the reason you sin; they are not the source of your sin. The reason you have sin and anger is because that is within you. It is simply other people will bring that to the occasion in your own life. I mean, think about it. Are you ever impatient with your spouse or with others? Do you ever raise your voice in anger toward your children? Do you ever lash out at a coworker? Do you struggle with being quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger? I mean, I, th- I think we could all just honestly say, yes, like we do. There are times that that just happens. And in verse 20, James says, this anger does not produce the righteousness of God. So what does James mean by that? What does he mean, righteousness of God? Well, he, he's referring to a life that pleases God. When we respond in anger to others, we're not loving God or loving them. This is why James says in verse 21, we need to remove filthiness and we need to remove rampant wickedness within ourselves. When we're saved by grace, we know this, we're not made perfect in a moment. We're not done with sin. In fact, what we see in God's Word, it's, it's only once we come to know Jesus and we've been given His Spirit that we're actually equipped to fight against sin. So, so I hope you know this, as a Christian Christian, you are not a slave to anger. Sometimes we feel that way. I'm just an angry person. No, you're not a slave to anger. You're not a slave to impatience. God has saved you so that every relationship that you are in, you would be able to show his love. So the question would then be, well, well, how do we get rid of this anger? How do we kill impatience? How do we become people who are tender, compassionate, patient, Kind, self-controlled, full of love and grace. How do we live in a way that we strive for unity within the body? Or to say it another way, how do we live righteous lives? Which is what James is guiding us into here. And what's interesting is James gives no 10-step method. He doesn't say, well, hold your breath, count to five. His answer is to receive God's word god's word is to be regularly received that's what he wants us to see notice notice james says we're to receive the implanted word does that sound strange to you how do you receive what is already in you now before we answer that maybe a better question to start with how did the word get inside of us in the first place So let's start there. To answer that, we go back to verse 18. This is where we were two weeks ago. There we read, God brought us forth by the word of His truth. And so as we studied that, we saw that that refers to our salvation. And what we understand there is, it's through God's word that we are saved. It's through God's word, the Holy Spirit works, that we would have a new birth, that we would have salvation, that we would believe in Jesus Christ. God's word is what gives birth to our salvation. This is why uh, the prophet Jeremiah, this is what the prophet Jeremiah wrote as he looked uh, from the Old Testament, looked forward to the new covenant, the salvation that Jesus would bring. He says this in Jeremiah 31, this is God speaking. "'For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days,' declares the Lord." I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. So as Jeremiah is looking forward and God speaks through him, he says the new covenant is going to be where God gives you new hearts. And these new hearts are going to have God's word on them, meaning you're going to desire to obey God's word and to live out God's word. So we've answered the question, how does God's word come inside of us? It comes at salvation. When you believe in Jesus Christ, God has given you a new heart. That new heart has God's word written upon it. So how do we receive then the word when it's already in us? I think that's a good question. I remember actually listening to a sermon on this uh, many years ago by John Piper and, and his explanation was so good. I just wrote it. It's, it's right here. It's in red in my Bible. Um, and, I, and I wrote it out. Uh, and he gave an illustration and he said, he said, think of it like the air that is inside of your lungs right now. All of you have air inside of your lungs. It is necessary for you to have life. And yet what do we continue to do? We continue to breathe, bringing in air so that what? We would continue to live. So although we have air within us, we now must continue to breathe, bringing air into us so that we would continue to live. And so James' or James's point is that God's word, while it is in us, we must continually feast upon it. We must continually read it and hunger for it if we're going to continue to live. His point is, God's Word is the air that gives life, and it sustains life. We're to be a people of the Word. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4? He goes into the wilderness, he's being tempted by Satan, and how does he respond? He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What was his point? His point is that this Word, God's Word, is what ultimately sustains our souls. And So why is that important? How does it do that? So let me give two other reasons at least. Number one, God's Word transforms us into the image of Jesus. And we see this throughout uh, throughout the New Testament. In Colossians 3, Paul uses some pretty similar words to what we have here in James. James is telling us to take stuff off and receive something... Paul's going to say, take something off and you put something on. This is what he says in Colossians 3. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. See, this is why James says we need to receive the word with meekness, because when we come to the word of God, we're actually being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Meaning, so when we come to the word, we're not coming as the authority that we would critique this word. But we're coming to it realizing this is the authority. And it is critiquing and shaping and transforming us. Which is why we come in meekness. Which is why we pray before we, st- before we open the word on Sunday mornings. If you notice, every Sunday before we come and we open the word, what do we do? we pray. That's not just for transition purposes. In fact, really it has nothing to do with transition purposes. The reason we pray is because we're humbling ourselves at that moment, saying this is God's Word given to us with His authority, inspired by His Spirit, that it would transform us. So we're acknowledging that we need to be transformed by this Word. So I encourage you, when you're opening up your Word, the Bible at home, how do you do that? How do you begin your study? How do you position yourself in such a way, and I'm not just talking physically, that as you open up the word that you're submitting to God, that you're bowing down before Him, that you're coming in meekness, acknowledging our need to become more like Christ? The other reason that we are to receive uh, this word regularly is because it it saves us our souls look at the end of verse 21 he says put away all filthiness rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls now you might say wait aren't we saved by grace i mean don't we all shout grace alone so how can we then say the regular receiving of god's word is what saves my soul well we we are saved by grace but remember what is James writing about? This is where we come back to context. James isn't telling us how to be saved. He's not telling us how we become justified. He's telling us what does it look like now that we are justified. How do we live the Christian life? What does it look like to live as people who are saved? What does it look like to live as people who have faith? James wants us to know that the grace that saves us transforms us to live a certain way. Real faith produces righteous living this is what jesus taught in in the sermon on the mount in matthew 5 20 jesus says this i tell you unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and pharisees you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven he's saying that our lives are to be righteous that we're to live a particular way five times in the letter that paul writes to titus he says god has saved us that we would do good works And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this is what Paul says. Notice what he says about good works and how they play a part of the Christian life. He says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. Which you are being saved. Now notice, if you hold fast to the word. So yes, we are saved by grace, but the grace that saves us continues to save us, and the evidence of our ongoing salvation is what? Obedience to the Word of God. That is the evidence of the ongoing salvation, and so we could then kind of turn that all upside down and say the person who does not obey God's Word demonstrates that they are not saved, because not only does God's Word save us, it saves us, it keeps us until the day that Christ returns. And the way we know that and see that is our obedience to the Word of God. So why is it that we regularly receive God's Word? Well, for one, it's the very air that fills us, that gives us life, sustains our life. It's the Word that transforms us. And it's the way that we're saved and kept saved until Christ returns. What James is going to do now as we move through the text, is he says, okay, so, so let me flesh this out. Let, let's talk about what does it actually look like to receive this word. And this is where we come to our next point. God's word informs how we are to live. If you look in verse 22, James is going to flesh it out. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So what does it mean to receive God's word? Well, the way we receive is not only by hearing, but also obeying, by doing the word. So let's flesh this out. So this is, we're going to have an interactive moment, okay? We do this at times, so I'm, I'm, I'm this time letting you know ahead of time. So you can raise hands in this, and you don't have to worry. There's not really a trick that comes at the end of this, like, oh, I mean, there kind of is, but you'll see, uh, who, who, who studies God's Word? Who's a part of a Bible study? Awesome. Go ahead. Keep your hands raised. This is, this is great. Um, who has a Bible reading plan? I do. Like, you know, those things with all the little boxes that you check off. Those are great. I love those. Whoever listens to a sermon podcast. Doesn't have to be mine. Like, don't feel free. Like, just listen to podcasts. Sermons. Who, uh, whoever just comes to church and gathers and listens to sermons. I mean, you kind of all have to raise your hand here. Uh, Those are all good things, right? You can put them down. Those are all good things. There's nothing wrong. In fact, I think we could say those are necessary things that we should do as Christians. Those are ways that we're hungering for God's word. And yet, what is James telling us? You can literally do all of that and go to hell. That's what he's saying. He's saying there's, there's a way that you receive God's word and that, and that receiving goes beyond hearing. If all you do is hear and you're not receiving, then you're being deceived. And the word deceived means to be blinded to the reality of one's true religious state. He's literally saying you can have bookshelves full of completed Bible studies and you can be spiritually dead on the inside. This is kind of what Jesus said to the Pharisees. The Pharisees knew like the entire Old Testament. Had it memorized. Like just like process that one. Had it memorized. And what does Jesus call them? You're like whitewashed tombs. Beautiful on the outside. And you're dead on the inside. See in verses 23 and 24, he's going to illustrate this deceit. And so what James is doing, he's really, he's wanting us to pause at this moment as we're reading this and saying, okay, I need to regularly receive God's Word. Yes, it saves my soul. This is really great. Okay, yes, I need to hear God's Word and do so you don't deceive yourselves. He's pausing so that we would then ask a question, am I receiving the Word the right way? Am I hearing and obeying? Or am I only hearing? And that's a question that we need to ask ourselves. And I think if we're honest, we probably all kind of go up and down. There's times that we might only kind of do the hearing. Sometimes Sunday, Sunday mornings might feel like that. You kind of leave and you're like, I think that was good. Not really sure what we talked about. Did, did you ever have that moment? No, never, right? Not at this church, right? Yes, we all do. Or or like, you know, you, you, you get done reading the Bible and you walk away. Wh- what? What did I just read? You ever have that moment? okay. Sometimes that happens, but that shouldn't be the norm, right? The norm is we're hearing for the purpose of transformation so that we would then do, that we would obey. So in verses 23 and 24, James illustrates, he says, okay, this is what it looks like to be deceived. He said, imagine that there's a person who goes and looks in a mirror and walks away and then he completely forgets what he saw. So can you picture that scenario? You get ready in the morning, you look in the mirror, you're looking intently, notice, intently looking. So it's not like you're just walking by the mirror, like, you know, just walking right by the bathroom, like, oh, yep, I'm there. But you're looking intently at the mirror, you're examining, and then you walk away and you go, wait a minute, do my clothes match? Did I do my hair? Do I have lipstick on my cheek? Do I have something on my teeth? You know, just kind of, I have no idea. How would you describe that person, if that was their normal practice? Stupid? Lazy? They're not ignorant. Don't use that word, they're not ignorant. They're looking intently at the word. I think this reminds me, well, it does remind me because I wrote it down. It reminds me of the, the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to have eternal life? And so Jesus looks at him and he looks just directly at his heart. He knows where the sin is. And so he says, "Uh, go and sell all that you have and follow me. And what does he do? Walks away. He hears, but what does he not do? Does not obey. And he walks away. You see, God's word is like a mirror and it reveals to us our sin. So for what point? We'll go back to verse 21 that we would take off the filthiness and the rampant wickedness. See, as we open up God's Word, it, it, it shows us sin. It shows us, man, I am, I am angry, and, and I see that in these relationships. And it shows us that so that we would repent, so that the Holy Spirit would, would help remove that sin from within us. God's Word reveals sin. It also reveals sin. How we're called to live. What does it look like to to live righteously? Which we're really going to get into next week. Next week we're spending the entire time just on verses 26 and 27. There James just fleshes out three things. This is what faith looks like. But today we're just pointing out real faith in Christ results in living righteously. Meaning we are a people of the word. We obey the word. So I just want you to think. How should a text like this affect us? How does it affect the way you listen to a sermon? Make sure you're hearing and obeying so you're not deceived. How does that affect the way you listen to a sermon? How should it affect the way you read your Bible on Monday and Tuesday and throughout the week? How does it affect the way you prioritize God's Word in your life? I think we've all said things like, you know, I just didn't have time for the Bible. And sometimes that happens for seasons in our life. We just haven't had time for a long time. We keep making up these reasons, but but what does this say the priority of God's Word should be in our life? Parents, how does this text affect the way you should teach your children to read the Bible? How does this text affect whether I should be a part of a Bible study? How does this text affect the way I view the necessity of righteous, God-honoring living? Just think through that. This text speaks to all of those things. Clearly, James is saying, the way we live matters. Our actions will either reveal the presence or the absence of faith. In James 2.14, which we'll get to in a couple weeks, James says this, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? And of course, he's asking that rhetorically. No, that faith can't save him. It's not real. If there's no works that go with the faith, The faith is dead. Now, at this moment, I could see some here, and they'd be beginning to think okay, I hear what you're saying. You're talking a lot about rules and obedience and commands. But let's slow down a little bit because we know we're saved by grace. Let's pull back the reins on being legalistic. Let's not, you know, draw a line in the sand and say we all have to obey all the things that God's word says. So that may be going through your head or, or, or some form of that, or maybe it is now that I've said it. So let's turn to verse 25, and, and how does James respond to that line of thinking? But be the one, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Here we have God's word brings freedom and blessing. That's our our final point. So here James is going to switch from using the word word to the word law. And he probably does this because he's wanting to emphasize obedience. But how does he describe law? This is our interactive time. How does he describe the law? What does he say? It's like everyone's like do we actually say it? Yes. What is it? The law of liberty. He also calls it the perfect law. Now, let's not forget, James is the, the, probably the first book we have, so there's no New Testament at this moment. I mean, his, his book is like the first contribution to the New Testament. So, what's he writing about? What law is he writing about? What is this perfect law, this law of liberty, law of freedom that he's, he's writing about? What is it? It's the Old Testament. So what he's looking at. And as he looks at the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus Christ, what does he say? This word is what? It's freedom. Is that how you look at God's word? This word is about freedom. When James looks, he's not thinking about how restrictive God is or how legalistic Christianity is. He sees freedom. Think about it Adam and Eve are in the garden. How many commands are they given, or how many prohibitions are they given? One, right? See, kids know this. Was that Savannah? Trained well in the way of the word. Man, Tony and Sandra, that's awesome. Um, They're told not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they can eat every other tree. Now, did God say this because He's holding back on them? That's what the serpent wanted them to think. Was He trying to limit their freedom? That's what the serpent wanted them to think. No, He did it for their good. God created them to share in His glory. He wanted them to be full of joy. But that joy and that glory and that goodness that God has for us only comes as we live in accordance with His Word, not in rebellion to Him. Maximum freedom is seen within obedience to God's Word, not in rebellion to His Word. This is what uh, Sam Alberry, a pastor and theologian, wrote. He said, Western society tends to think of freedom purely in terms of the absence of restriction. Yes, we do. The idea is that if we remove all constraints, we end up with freedom. That's what we think, right, teenagers? It's exactly what we think. Man, no rules. That's freedom. But in the Bible, real freedom is not the absence of any and every restraint, but rather the presence of the right kind of constraint. Removing a fish from water does not give it more freedom, but less. It is designed to live in the water, not apart from it. Freedom from water is a removal of constraint, but it also... For a fish is a complete misunderstanding of what freedom really is. I think his fish analogy is really helpful there. Hear this. God has given us his word so we would experience freedom from sin. God has given us commands so we would experience the freedom, joy, and glory of being in a relationship with God. But James Jesus wants us to see that, that as he looks at the word, there's freedom. And parents, I think we could say similarly, the reason we give our kids rules, constraints, is for their freedom, right? It's out of love we give these, because we want them to flourish. Now, we sometimes mess that up because we're not perfect parents, right? But God, as the perfect father, gives us the perfect rules, the perfect law, the law of liberty, so that as we follow His word, yes, we might be misunderstood in this world. Yes, we, we might be called legalistic in this world at times from certain people. But what we understand is we're actually experiencing the freedom of God. But James doesn't just motivate us with freedom. He also motivates us with another word. He motivates us with the word blessing. Look at the last words of verse 25. He says, you will be blessed in your doing. James wants us to know there's a blessing in the doing of God's word. So, so often we think that the blessing comes at the end, right? Like, do this and then you'll be rewarded. That's often how we work, right? It's transactional basis. You do this and then I'll reward you with something. But that's not what the Bible is saying at this moment. James says you're actually blessed when? In the very act of the doing. Now think about that, I know there's times we're tired, I know there's times we're emotionally worn out, I know there's times we say, I, I don't really want to obey. Maybe we feel like, I can't obey. You ever feel like that? You ever feel like that just kind of, sometimes maybe there's just that weight or, or there's that situation or that conflict and you're like, I don't know if I want to move into that. And yet, what is James calling us for at this moment? He says, There's a blessing for those who persevere in the doing at that time. God is a gracious Father who loves to pour blessing upon his children as we obey him. It's through obedience we share more in his glory. It's through obedience we become more like Christ. It's through obedience we shine brightly in this world. It's through obedience God uses us as a means of loving others and that they would change and they would see God, that they would come to Christ. It's through our obedience that we grow in our love for Him, that we see Christ even more clearly, that we experience the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I pray that you hear today that you understand that God has given us His Word, and it's for our good. Do you know that? This Word, this paper Word, 66 books or digital Word, whatever it is that you're holding at this moment, it's for your good. Yes, there's rules. Yes, there's commands. And as we go through the book of James, like we said the other day, there's 51 commands in James. He's going to nail us and say, do this, do this. He's pointing his finger. And at the beginning, he say, it's all for Freedom. It's for freedom we've been given this. It's that we live a certain way that we demonstrate the love of Christ, the unity of Christ, the joy of Christ, the glory of Christ. And so if we're going to do that, it's going to be through the obedience to the Word. And the good news is, if you're a Christian, you'd be given His Spirit so that all these commands, all these rules, all these things we're being called into, God gives us grace that we can obey them all through His Spirit. It's not that you have to be strong enough, be good enough. The Spirit works in us that we can obey all of them. So, the means to fill every one of these commands is given to you by God's grace and His Spirit. So, if we want to experience freedom from sin, if we want to be people who are quick to hear, slow to anger... If we want to be people who love our wives well, our husbands well, we love others well, we shepherd our children well. If we're going to be people who are meek, who are transformed into the image of Christ. If we're going to be a body that loves one another and we strive and we press for unity. If we're going to be a people that shine brightly so that people in Thurston County will come to know Christ and people in other parts of the world will come to know Christ. It's going to be in obedience to God's word. Listen, what, what your family, what your friends, what your coworkers, what everyone around you needs you to do is to be more in God's word, to receive it the way that God calls us to, to hear and to obey. That's what, that's what our friends need. That's what our children need. That's what our families need if we're going to shine brightly in this world, it'll be in obedience to this Word, the Word that God has given us. So let us be a people of it. Let us study it. Let us study it together. Let us study it alone. Let us regularly submit ourselves to it, that we would know God, and that we'd live as He's called us to. So what we're going to do now is I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite the men to come down, but we're going to partake of communion. And as we partake of communion we're celebrating the fact that Christ has come and that through His death and resurrection, He has freed us from sin, that we have been justified, that we have been declared righteous so that we could then obey the very things that God has called us to do. So let me pray. Our Father, we come to You now. And Lord, I thank You for Your Word. The Word that You have given us. Your Word... Your word of freedom, your word that explains how your son came to die on a cross, that we would be set free from sin, that we would no longer be slaves to sin, that we would not be slave to anger, to unrighteousness, to impatience, to harshness, but that, God, we would become a child of you. And in that sense, we would become slaves of righteousness, desiring to please you and to serve you and to live in accordance to your word. Lord, I pray that as we hear Your Word, that Your Spirit increases the desire and the hunger within our hearts, within our souls for Your Word, that we would regularly feast upon it. Lord, I pray that if there are are believers here who have been neglecting Your Word for whatever reason, that they'd repent today. They'd begin studying it. They'd get in Bible studies with other believers. Lord, I pray that that if anyone here is is convicted of hearing your word. Maybe they've been reading the Bible. Maybe they've been studying. Maybe they've been coming and listening to sermons, but there's been no doing. And they've been deceiving themselves. Lord, I pray for conviction there that you'd repent. God, we thank you for your grace and your spirit. We thank you that, Lord, you not only call us to live a certain way, but you change us, transform us, and by your grace you empower us to do all that you've called us to do. God, I pray that we would truly see your word as one of freedom that calls us, beckons us into even greater freedom and joy as we follow you in obedience. In your name, Jesus, amen.